All right, Jeff, you mentioned Connor Overton. And I have not, and I, you know, and I've, and this has been a point of pride for me because I have not mentioned him in a fourth or fifth starting role. I've always relegated him to the bullpen as the long man uh, since the end of last season. But given the performances of everybody else throughout spring training, does this open the door for him to slide in and grab a rotation spot with, with, I mean, this is what I'm setting up. Could we find, see both Williamson and Stout at AAA to work on some things and have the fourth and fifth guys be Weaver and Overton? That's the question I'm asking you. It's definitely possible. I mean, Overton's not been impressive this spring either, and he is due to pitch here in about an hour against the Mariners, but uh, he's going to be the starting pitcher at least. So I, I wonder if they let him go three or four innings or something like that, or you know how many batters he gets to face based on his performance. But I almost wonder, and this could be an interesting opportunity for them to do this, to carry Weaver, Sessa, Overton all on the roster and have them in the bullpen. And Sessa can be, you know, if, if it's a tight game, he can come in the eighth. Or if it's a struggle, he can come in in the second or the third and pitch multiple innings. Same with Connor Overton, because Luke Weaver has shown a propensity to blow up. Brandon Williamson, Levi Stout have shown propensities to blow up, but they've also had nice stretches as well. So maybe they do that for two or three innings. They get to the point where they almost blow up. David Bell throws in Connor Overton. Luis Sessa shuts the door for a couple more innings to get it to the actual bullpen plan for the day. I think that the best version of the Reds is understanding that those two rotation spots are going to be very volatile and not expecting either spot to go six innings every fifth day. So almost uh, a piggyback format, basically, is what you're describing. Mm -hmm. Because right. I think I, I think there's a little bit, and, and people always hate it when you say this about a rookie coming up because they just want the rookies to go out there and throw eight shutout innings and just impress us every time out. But if you have a plan, you know, for failure, not, not to say that you want it to be failure, but if you're planning plan for, for the plan for the worst and hope for the best yeah and piggyback starting is the way to ease those guys into it so let's loop back through some of these comments uh jeff not all of them will require a lot of time from me and you but i do want to acknowledge them uh as we were talking throughout the first two segments of the show uh there were some folks checking in so uh yeah. dragon says hunter is the best polished face of the team more of a speaker that's true i mean if if you figure the opening day guy is going to have to talk to the media a lot and be, you know, kind of a face of the franchise. I mean, Hunter Green's good at that. And, you yeah. know, as we saw from those quotes and from his video, he knows exactly what to say and how to deliver the message. So I, I can, I can see that Jimmy says, you know, Green's a, a PR move. Yeah. There's some, there's some that all ties together. And I listen, I don't blame the reds for allowing that to factor into their decision. I, 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 I really don't. Uh, Josh thinks uh, Ladolo should be the opening day starter. I, I, I do. I, I, I think that too. But and I think it's interesting and and important to note when you're talking about the opening day starter. There's a little bit of theatrics when it comes along with that because, as we talked about in the past, there's a difference between saying that a guy is the opening day starter and a guy is the guy for Game Seven of the World Series there's a huge difference there. And mm -hmm. I think that, you know, Hunter green is still building to that point. And that's why I say the reds are showing confidence that he can get there 
because opening day is a little bit more PR than the playoffs are. Playoffs, you want the guy that you know is going to take over. Scott checks in and says, how many lefties will be in the starting rotation? Well, we know Nick Lodolo is one of them. Brandon Williamson will be the other. You, you really think, you, are you calling I'm it right now? He's gonna break is he going to be your fifth guy? I think so. I think there is a non-zero chance that it is Weaver and Overton, but I think that Brandon Williamson's going to be the fifth starter. Dave Pemberton says, if CES isn't on the opening day roster and in the lineup, we riot. Listen, I, they're so much fun right now. I mean, they even, are. They're just so much fun. I mean, if you, I, if you, I have if you a hard time not like overhyping this. Yeah, like copy paste the fun we're having now in spring training into the regular season. And you will see more people at the ballpark. Like, I, I feel like the Reds have to take that into consideration. Like, nobody is showing up to the ballpark because they're happy that Will Myers is starting at first and they're going to see TJ Friedel in right field because Will Myers is at first. Like, we want to see CES at first. We want to see Matt McClain somewhere in the field. We want to see the young guys. We want to see Ellie De La Cruz. And I know that he hasn't had the inspiring spring that those two guys have had, but that doesn't change my opinion of him any bit at all. And I, I just, I, I would love to see CES on this opening day roster because he's going to be so much fun to watch a great American. That power. BR, hmm. BR7 checks in and says, if Joey comes back and does not knock the lights out, will fans start a slow roar for CES? This is an interesting question, Jeff. Um, there's, I think there is a little corner of the fan base that will do exactly this. Hot take. Even if he does knock the cover off the ball, I want him to play DH and I want CES at first. Well, hello. You're, <laughs> like, are, we're moving. So Joey as the full-time DH is what you're calling for right now. I you, you've seen that, enough. You've seen enough of CES to say, Joey Votto, you just lost your job. You're now just going to hit. We're bringing up the kids. I think that there's an argument to be had about it, at least to be like, especially if it's a right-handed pitcher, you could say, okay, Joey could play first. But if it's a left-handed pitcher, there's consideration to be had that CES needs to be the right-handed part of a platoon at first base. Oh, that is definitely a hot take. I'm not there with you yet. I want to see what Joey brings to the table when he comes back. If he is the comeback player of the year, Joey, that we hope he will be, then I want him at first base part of the time. I want him at DH part of the time, basically trading out with Tyler Stevenson. We've talked about this. Yeah, uh, That's how I want to see him used. If Joey's, to answer the question though, if Joey is not comeback player of the year, Joey, let's just say, you know, father time finally wins coming off of this type of injury. And Joey's not Joey. Joey's already said he'll be the first one to acknowledge that. And he doesn't want to play if he's not good. If he's not Joey, he doesn't want to play. So I imagine if he struggles and struggles mightily and can't get it together, he'll at some point announce that this is going to be it for him. And then it's going to be the Joey Votto goodbye tour. And I don't think people are going to give him a hard time in that scenario. They're going to cheer him and the visiting the places they go visit will give him gifts and, and he's going to get, uh, you know, a send off that he deserves. So I think either way, I think the fan base will be nice to him. It'll either be because he's overachieving and being the comeback player of the year, or it's because they know this is the last they're ever going to get to see of what is uh, the Reds' last career Hall of Fame player. I wonder, and this is really more of a, let's talk about it hypothetically for just a moment instead of a, do we have a concrete answer on this? But 
Joey almost seems like the personality of a guy. Cause like we heard about Albert Pujols contemplating retirement in June before he took off last season there in the story that we'll talk about on Monday about Babe Ruth. When he retired, he played 28 games in 1935 and he was hitting like a buck 18. He only had like eight homers and he's just like, yeah, I'm not good anymore. I'm, I'm done. And he stopped. He didn't, he didn't travel with the team the rest of the year. He retired. Could Joey do that? Could Joey be like, look, this isn't working guys. I need to peace out. And you guys got a ton of talent on this roster. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm done. Maybe he does travel with the team as kind of just like a advisory coach, but I could see there being a possibility that he's just like, no, I'm hanging it up. And this is my last game. Kind of a la King Griffey Jr., right? Mm-hmm. That's yep. exactly how Griffey went out. And he was like, you know, nah, I'm done. And he was done that day. Um, Dave Brown, check this out. This is a this is an interesting comment. And uh, I'll, I'll frame it up for you, Jeff, because I, I want to get your thoughts. Uh, Dave Brown says, if Green doesn't have it in any particular start, he cannot pitch through it. Lodolo knows how to pitch through a bad day and how to keep his team in a game. This this feels like that meltdown conversation that we had when we were talking about uh, arbitration with Tampa Bay mm-hmm. and that they brought out this meltdown stat. And I wonder, uh, I wonder if that has some kind of play here, but do you agree with this take? Do you feel like Lodolo's better at finding his way through trouble and that when Hunter Green melts down, it's just beyond repair? I don't think, I think, okay, to his point, I think we know that about Nick Lodolo, that he can fight through trouble. I don't mm-hmm. think we know that about Hunter Green. I think early season Hunter Green. Yeah, sure. I agree with him. He couldn't fight through a meltdown then. His last eight starts of the year, though, last year, he had a 1.75 ERA. And those were eight starts. It's a small sample, but you're not going to tell me that eight starts in a row, he didn't face any adversity whatsoever. Like, he was really good in that season. And I think that there's an argument to be had that we still don't necessarily know what we don't know about Hunter Green. So I'm not willing to say that I know he can't fight through a meltdown because as far as maturity goes and as far as like just overall smarts and, and, and I think he's probably a tops on the team. Yeah. I, I'm, I can't say it better than you did. I, I, I think that's exactly how I feel. I, I agree with that. Uh, there's been, there's great, great Nick Lodolo and Hunter green talk in the chat throughout this whole, this whole time. Jeff, I'm going to take a couple more and then we'll move into Tyler Stevenson and then the odds and ends stuff. But um, comment here from back says, uh, I think the addition of the second slider and change up, the long ball will be reduced. Hitters just can't think, okay, fastball slider. That's what we talked about, right? You know, basically the hitters had a 50-50 shot of guessing it right. And then, you know, if they were able to guess correctly as a, Back says here they could sit on one. Green will be dominant this season. But from your lips to God's ears, my friend, that's exactly what we hope happens. I think, too, and it's something that he did to very uh, good success yesterday in that four-inning outing against the Cubs is that he ran that changeup up there to get a ground ball. He wasn't necessarily pitching the changeup to get a whiff, but he was able to drop it in right underneath the bat. Guys were not making good contact on it. It was a lot of weak grounders. I think he had, there was that one weird base hit that Trey Mancini had where it was just, he dropped the ball in no man's land right there on the infield grass. And Hunter Green almost made a play on it, like almost made a super athletic looking play. Just couldn't quite get him because it was too awkward of an angle and all this other stuff. But I, I think at the end of the day, 
we talked about this a lot last year in that it seemed like every pitch was trying to get a strikeout. And when he didn't get that, he was giving up a lot of hard contact. Now he's got a couple of pitches between the, the second slider and the changeup that he can just drop in and be like, look, I need to get out of this at bat. I need to get an out and let's move on to the next guy because this guy's got my fastball timed or he's, he's got my, my whiff, you know, his slider for a, a swing and miss. He's got that figured out. So let's just get out of it, getting out and get moving because that is something he did not have in the first half of last season because there's a lot of long at bats, right? He was trying to get the strikeout. Now he can just say, all right, boom, we're going to cut this off early, ground you to third, get you out of here. Let's move on to the next one. Well, speaking of moving on to the next one, let's get into some Tyler Stevenson talk. Uh, we're going to continue to talk about this pitching, guys. Don't worry. Uh, we'll have you covered all the rest of spring, uh, especially now that whatever Hunter Green does the rest of the way, it's going to be under a microscope as he prepares for the opening day start. Sure. Uh, Greg checks in and says, Tyler Stevenson needs to be in the lineup, ideally at catcher, but realistically anywhere is better than the injured list. His bat must be in the lineup. Uh, I totally agree with that. Before we talk about that, I'm going to jump into Debbie Brown's comment because I want to tie him together. Debbie says they have to move Tyler around. He's just too accident prone. So let's take these two comments in conjunction, Jeff, because I, I agree, Greg, his bat must be in the lineup. That's what we're saying. Uh, having him in the lineup uh, at any position is a benefit to the team because of that bat. Uh, I like that he's still catching 40% of the time. Uh, to Debbie Brown's point that he's accident prone, Nick Senzel's accident prone. We've seen that over a large sample size. Tyler Stevenson had a couple fluke injuries, a couple things happened to him last year that I don't know could be duplicated. I mean, a foul ball at exactly the right speed and the right angle to and break right a clavicle spot. through the pad. I mean, it hit yeah. the pad and still broke his clavicle. So I don't know. I don't know. I'm not ready to call him injury prone, but to your point, Debbie, I would like them to limit the situations where things can happen to him. And yeah. by increasing his ability to be in the lineup and putting him other places, the natural byproduct of that is he's in less chance to get injured. So, you know, I take those two as a whole. Yes. Play him everywhere. Play him all the time. Keep him from being injured. Yeah. I, and this is a crass way of putting it, but I'm just thinking of this, this old metaphor. If you step in a cow pie, then you probably just got to miss that cow pie moving forward. But if you keep stepping in cow pies, maybe walk in a different field. And that's kind of what happened to Tyler Stevenson last year. He kept playing catcher. He kept getting hurt. Let's try and play him at first. Let's try and play him at DH and keep that bat in the lineup. Keep him producing for the Reds because the Reds score more when he hits. It's it's proven. And then let's make sure that happens. Let me see what you think about this. Our buddy Carrick Melvin checks in and says, if CES is on the team, then they can only have two catchers when Votto comes back. CES, Votto, and Steer will need to get at bats at DH. You said you could have CES and Votto at mm -hmm. the same time. So who do you, who are you cutting? Like who's who's the guy that goes? If you want to keep three catchers, I think you keep five outfielders, right? Five outfielders, three catchers. Mm -hmm. That's eight. Yeah, I think I did that right. Because then you have five infielders. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let's go with that. <laughs> I, so that's that's doing math. So it's a little point, bit. 
Yeah. To your point, that's where I was going to go with it. Also, I think that Spencer Steer could become part of the right-handed platoon uh, and get some of his at bats out. You can play in, corner outfield in a yeah. corner outfield. Exactly. Yeah. So you can use one of those infielders uh, that can play outfield as well. And you can get rid of a Chad Pinder type. Uh, one of those dudes are going to make this team. You could get rid of one of those guys and use them in the platoon. It can be done. Listen, what a great problem to have. I'm sorry, folks. We have we have too much good talent. I don't know what we're going to do. It's it's we don't we can't. I don't know. We're, Tyler we're Stevenson can play left field. We're, we're just too damn good. Oh, you saw his face when I said that during the interview, <laughs> yeah, right? He did not like that at all. <laughs> he did not like that at all. So, you know, Carrick, I, I, I hear you. I mean, you're not wrong. It would it would require a lot of creativity, but that's the one thing that I think we all can agree that David Bell is good at is the yeah. creativity. This whole scenario, like David Bell is sitting in his office, like just <laughs> maniacal right now. He's like, oh, the things I can do. Right. This is this is right in his wheelhouse. As many people think to a fault, but no, this is what he loves. He loves tinkering with the lineup. He loves guys that are very flexible in their positions that they can play. And I think that, that he's going to get the best out of these guys. A, a lot of people like to complain about him moving dudes around but we've got guys that can do that. Spencer Steer can play everywhere. I mean, probably not center field, probably not catcher, but he literally played shortstop in college. My man, we played Jesse Winker in center field. Spencer Steer can play center field. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, and, but at the end of the day, like I think David Bell knows like he's got dudes that he can move around. He can kind of, you know, it's a puzzle to him, and it's going to be a good puzzle now. Whereas the last like year and a half or so, it's been like, really, we're playing this guy here. All right, All right. sure, yeah, thanks, Nick. Thanks for putting this roster together for me. I guess we got to put this guy here. TJ Friedel comment here. Uh, Reaper Card says TJ Friedel has to play pretty regularly the way he's hitting right now. Uh, yeah, Friedel is making a case for some playing time. The the interesting question here is where and how are you doing the platoons? Because I, Jake Fraley is going to play in a corner, left-handed. Mm -hmm. TJ Friedel is left-handed. So you want to say center field? No, no. Jeff's guy, the hype Will train Benson. express, Will Benson, left-handed, playing center field. So what do you think you want to say? Right field, right? Maybe if you've got Will Myers playing first base during that time, then yes, TJ Friedel could be your right fielder and have an all lefty outfield versus a right-handed pitcher. I can see that uh, once, once Joey's back and first base gets a little more crowded, interesting decisions to be made with how exactly you do those platoons out there. TJ Friedel is just so interesting to me because he's not, I think he's a kind of one-dimensional hitter. He's got a little bit more power than Alejo Lopez does, but he doesn't have that on-base ability. I feel like his on-base percentage is very dependent on his batting average, and that's fine, but last year he hit 240, and he did have an on-base of 310, but I don't know. I was just looking up those numbers to see. I'm like, what am I thinking about TJ Friedel? I still don't know about TJ Friedel. And, and, and maybe that means that he does deserve more playing time to prove to us who he is. But in this outfield, 
I just feel like there are some dudes that got a lot of talent, a lot of athleticism. And if you're talking about, you got to play him over Will Benson or, or uh, Jake Fraley, I have a hard time picking over those two guys and he's not playing over Will Myers. So the, the hard part's going to be like, I think it probably comes down to Friedel or Benson for playing time. And that's going to be a tough one. Cause Benson has shown a propensity to really be like a game changer. And, and Friedel at the end of the day may just be a really good spare part for your lefty platoon mm-hmm. when Fraley needs an extra day off or Benson needs an extra day off. Well, then you've got Friedel. You've got Friedel to use as a late inning replacement pinch hitter kind of thing. That may be all that TJ Friedel gets this year. And, you know, he'd be a good one for that. So it'll be interesting to see exactly how that plays out. Uh, this next one's a fun one, Jeff. Uh, we're going to we're going to drop back into some Hunter Green conversation for just a second. But it's uh, not what you think. Uh, Austin checks in and says, part of me really wants to see how much of his hitting skill that Hunter Green has retained. Remember, he was a shortstop, Jeffrey. Uh, Once he's a dominant pitcher, maybe we could have our very own version of Shohei Otani. No. (laughs) I don't want to mess with Hunter Green. (laughs) That's been the the biggest thing because like you know we always talk about you know regrets with different prospects we we kind of feel like the reds did a disservice to jose barrera they did a disservice to nick senzel i don't necessarily know that they did a disservice to hunter green but they decided early on in his minor league career that hunter green was not going to be a multi-position player he was going to be a pitcher period and i think from a fan's perspective i'm bummed on that but i get it because Shohei Otani up until last year was injury prone and last year he stayed relatively healthy. I think he still hit the injury list for a couple of different reasons for short tenures, but the stress that is put on his body from being a DH and a pitcher is a lot. Every fifth day, there's a reason starters only pitch every fifth day. And I think that you've got to continue to keep Hunter green at that one spot because I know, he can be elite as a pitcher. I don't necessarily know if he can be elite as a hitter. And I think that would be the only reason that you would say, okay, we're going to put you in the DH spot. Calvin checks in and says, guys are bound to get hurt outside of the bullpen. At what position could the Reds be the most exposed if injuries mount again? I think the outfield is probably the answer to this because they went out and got Will Myers, but I mean, just look at it right now. Nick Senzel still not back. We're not sure what we got with him. We got a bunch of lefties, but they can't really all play every day. Uh, the right-handed side of those platoons eh, are guys that are, you know, outside of a platoon situation are not guys you want starting every day. So for me, uh, they're one to two outfield injuries away from being in big trouble in the outfield, just like they were last year. To be, because I do agree, the outfield, I mean, the outfield's, uh, We've we've called it the land of opportunity because we don't necessarily know who's going to take a hold. I'm very excited about Will Benson, but he's still got to prove it. He's, he hasn't proved it just yet. I think to give another perspective, because this roster does have many shallow spots to it, is if Spencer Steer gets hurt, who plays third base? Like, I mean, maybe Kevin Newman does, but you're not excited about having his bat in the lineup every day. I mean, Pittsburgh wasn't excited about having his bat in the lineup every day. So I, I think that if you're if you're looking outside of the outfield for being a detrimental position for injuries, 
third base is one that if Spencer Steer misses significant time, that might be an opportunity to call up some prospects, but I just, that, that would be tough, but they're all going to stay healthy. So that was all hypothetical. Yeah. <laughs> we're not doing, we're, we're not, I am not learning 70 different players again this year. <laughs> I, I won't do it, Jeff, Jeff. I won't do it. My contract, yeah, no, you know, they, I'm, I'm not doing it, Jeff. <laughs> just, just for, uh, for depth purposes, they called chase Anderson up to major league camp. So, you know, if, uh, there's some starters <sighs> that get hurt. We can see chase Anderson. again. Stop it. <laughs> so, hey Jeff, look, David's here. Look at look at David's here. For for those that don't follow along in the YouTube comments throughout the week, David is the guy that was questioning Tyler Stevenson uh taking up two roster spots. Uh he's the one that really got me thinking. And David says he's still not feeling it. Uh he appreciates our takes, but he if carrying three catchers made sense, every team would do it. The Reds uh overreacted to the injuries last year. So David, I, I hear you and, and man, thanks for being so engaged all the time and watching every show mm -hmm. and commenting. We appreciate you, man. Um, uh, here's the thing. Every team doesn't have Tyler Stevenson. Every team's best bat is not a catcher. The Reds are in a unique situation that they have to act differently than other teams in order to keep their best lineup on the field. Uh, in this particular case, it's a catcher that they need to play every day. And in today's baseball, the guy can't catch every day. It just doesn't work that way anymore. You know, Yadi Molina, ugh, ugh, yad, ugh. Yadi Molina was probably the last, ugh, last guy to do that. Okay. Whew, and he hasn't been, that. he wasn't that guy for the last couple of years of his and, career. And he either. wasn't correct. Exactly. So, so for me, David, I mean, I think we'll agree to disagree. I understand where you're coming from with this, but I think the Reds are in a unique position that they can and need to do this in order to put their best product on the field every day. I honestly think that the strength of this team is the catching position. And, and you could argue, you know, second base or wherever Jonathan India plays, but there's still questions on, you know, what does his defense look like now? It seems to be better in spring training, but what is better for Jonathan India being that he was minus nine and outs above average last year is better still negative. Then there's a whole different conversation there. I think the best position on this roster outside of your top three starters is catcher. And, and that's not going to be a thing like Luke Maley and Kurt Casale are valuable parts of this team and could be valuable parts of other teams as well. I mean, the guardians gave Luke Maley plenty of time at catcher last year and Kurt Casale was a big part of that Mariners playoff team. So I look at this and I say, I am intrigued and I'm excited to see how three catchers really gets Tyler Stevenson in the lineup every day and helps this team to win more games. Well, Jeff, we have a couple suggestions for ways to increase attendance that I'm going to roll with here. And we won't spend too much time on this, but they're fun. Calvin says dollar beer night. Listen, yeah. listen, there's reports out there already that Cincinnati per capita drinks more beer Was at sporting four? events than than almost anywhere else in the country. They were they were pretty high on that okay. list. Yeah, uh, I, they were right. They were in like the top three or four for sure. I think it was like Milwaukee was Milwaukee. Number one. Here's, here's my point. I don't think they could have enough beer at great American ballpark. If they did this dollar, beer, dollar night, yeah. beer night, are you kidding me? I wouldn't see the game. I mean, I guess now that the games are only going to be two and a half hours, you could get away with this, but I, you know, Probably. I go back to, 
dollar beer night and bat night being the same night in Chicago one night at a White Sox game and <laughs> I, police having to escort players off the field. I mean, I don't know. Cincinnati usually behaves better than that, but I don't know that they could stock enough beer to pull off dollar beer night in this town. I don't think so. <laughs> and the other Good. one, Jeff, this one I know you'd be in on, I think. Austin says pie Castellini night. <laughs> I know where I'm going to go. Yeah. <laughs> where be where are you going to go? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, there, that'd be interesting. Cause that also, I mean, that harkens back to, um, and, and, and I'm blanking. I know somebody in the comment section will remember, but I'm blanking on what it was that led him to do this. But remember when Marty shaved his head, and that was like there was a, a, a cancer. Thing. There was a cancer kid. He did yeah. that in solidarity with a, a child that had been diagnosed with cancer. That's there was a lot of folks from. at that game. Like I think mm-hmm. everybody knows. Like there's a little bit of extracurricular that you could tap into with your team and with your broadcasting crew and things like that. That that could be a little bit of a draw. I mean, obviously you can't shave your head every other night, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> Nick, Nick, I know you're listening. Go tell Phil, Pie Castellini night could be a ticket package i'm telling you <laughs> jy checks in the starters both position players and pitchers are looking good but the bullpen looks scary uh, it's only spring training uh, what are our thoughts well i hope you listened to lucas sims uh in yesterday's yesterday right yeah. the week's a blur yesterday's episode lucas sims was on if you haven't watched that or listened to it yet jump back lucas sims dropped in uh right after he got home from uh work so uh, we got to talk to him you know and he had a lot of good things to say about this bullpen I, I kind of agree with him I think that some of it hinges on the return of Tony Santion some of it hinges on how they use Luke Luis Sessa but with Sims back in the bullpen I think Alexis Diaz picks up right where he left left off uh, if Tony Santion is healthy I he was a whole different guy in the bullpen and I look forward to having him back. Now that's three great arms on the back end of it. You fill those middle innings with guys like Connor Overton. Maybe we've talked about that. You know, if, if Sess is your long man in there, then, you know, this bullpen is not bad. Now it could be exposed by injury to that previous question where, you know, they said I couldn't talk about the bullpen. Well here, now we are uh, the bullpen is the, the spot that is least able to absorb injury. Uh, mm. whatever guys they open with, you know, those are going to be their best bullpen arms. And then there's not a lot cooking down in Louisville waiting to replace them. If somebody gets hurt, I'm, I'm just slightly, I'm going to push back on that just a little bit, because I think what's going to happen is you're going to see a bullpen of mostly veteran guys. You know, you got Buck Farmer, you got Luis Sessa, you got Connor Overton that are going to be the middle guys that start on opening day. If some of those guys go down to injury, I am intrigued on seeing what Ricky Carker can do. Rick, Ricky Karcher can do. I'm intrigued to see what some of these young dudes can do. Kyle Legumina, the guys that we've gotten in trades that aren't being reported about because, you know, a prospect who is a bullpen arm is usually a failed starter. So people kind of have a negative opinion of them anyway. But the bullpen is one where prospects are hard to project because usually they end up there because they are not going to work out as a starter or because they just haven't quite figured out the whole stamina thing. They, they get to the second and third innings and, and they kind of fall apart. So people start to kind of uh, forget about them, but there's guys that have come up through bullpens that have absolutely exploded that nobody saw coming. 
And I think that it's going to be interesting to see when you give these guys who haven't had that exposure to the major leagues just yet, when you give them their first opportunity, what's going to happen? Because Ricky Karcher has a profile of a relief pitcher that I really want to see. And I don't necessarily know that he's going to be on the opening day bullpen, but when he gets called up, could be fun to watch. Jeff, there are a ton of folks on live right now with us. If this is your first time watching us live, make sure you click subscribe and the notification bell. We go live on Fridays right now until the season starts. Uh, we have an episode for you every single day. So if it's your first time here, welcome. Glad to have you. Make sure you're subscribed. We want to have you around all the time to talk Reds baseball with us. Jeff Tyler checks in and says Overton hasn't looked great, but he's high on him. Uh, he wants to see him as part of the five-man rotation, or at least a few looks at him at the beginning. Uh, he looked great when healthy last year. That leads me to this. You knew I was going to talk about it eventually. A six-man rotation. What if the fifth starter is an interchangeable part at the beginning, and we get a few looks at Overton, we get a few looks at Stout, we get a few looks at Williamson, and we wait for somebody to kind of just settle in and take the job? I could see that because this season is about figuring out who you got, figuring out who is going to be here when the team is good again. And if you're telling me that you can kind of – Give rest to Hunter Green, Nicoladolo, and Graham Ashcraft. Maybe give them one more day in between starts while also establishing that goal of figuring out who you've got. Then I think that's probably the best thing. And especially when we're talking about a bullpen where the guys that we trust, that list is very small. Probably best to not be full of a bunch of bullpen guys that we're not really sure about. I mean, oh. God help us if Hunter Strickland makes the opening day bullpen. <laughs> if we're talking about Hunter Strickland or a six starter, give me a six starter every day of the week and twice on Sunday. <laughs> Our buddy Carrick uh, has made his prediction, Jeff. He thinks that that is going to be Sessa and Weaver, fourth and fifth. Um, I don't know. I think I think Sessa being at the World Baseball Classic hurts his chance to fight his way into this rotation. I, I, no I matter Mexico what Mexico does with him. I don't know. I, I think still I, I, I still don't know, but yeah. I, I, whether they use him as a starter or not, I think him not being in camp with the Reds coaches competing with these players against major leaguers is going to hurt him. I think some things that David Bell has said leads me to believe they're monitoring their guys very closely on their world baseball classic teams. They're like, okay, how are they being used? What's their training regimen look like between games and stuff like that? So I, I don't necessarily think being away from the team will hurt them so much. It's just how does Mexico use him? Because if Mexico uses him as a one to two inning guy, it's going to be hard for him to build up that arm strength before mm -hmm. opening day to be a starter. Let's take a few more, Jeff. We're running. We've went run past the hour mark here, but I do want to take a few active. more. Love it. Uh, it's this chat is blowing up. Uh, Scott Campbell, our buddy Scott up in Dayton. Scott, how are you? Uh, someone yeah. should challenge Jeff to eat an entire fry box in a half inning against what? the pitch clock. We're doing this, guys. All right, here you go. No. We're going to do this. I'm in Cincinnati uh, for the whole first weekend series of the season uh, on <laughs> Saturday or Sunday. Jeff and I are going to do this. I'm going to, we're going to have the pitch clock in the frame and Jeff is going to crush not only a fry box. We're going to see how much fry box he can eat in a half inning. We are. Uh, before this, I'll, I'll run a poll. We'll, we'll take the, we'll take the bets. We'll see what the, we'll set an over under 
We'll set an over under. We're doing this, Jeff. It's I'm happening. Pre- no, I'm it's happening. Sure. You're, no, no, no. We're doing it. I'm pretty sure Hunter Green went like 90 seconds the other day, going one, two, three on the. Cubs. Oh, I can't no. wait for this. We're we're gonna do it. It's gonna and be the great. Pirates. No, no, but the Pirates. The Pirates were the ones that Wandy Peralta got. I know three outs in 20 seconds. I, like, dude, you're gonna have to go. We're gonna have to see how many. <laughs> we're gonna do it. This is happening. I don't this is know about this. <laughs> Uh, another comment, Jared on vinyl says that we can add Joey Votto to the list of players Jeff hates. <laughs> Jeff hates Jonathan India. Jeff hates Joey Votto. Gave his job away already. <laughs> I don't hate anybody except Hunter Strickland. <laughs> uh, Branch Brown checks in, says he thinks you're right, Jeff, about Williamson breaking camp in the rotation. I, they want to give him that job. Yeah. They, the Reds want him to be the fifth starter. It It makes... It makes first off, if he can be the fifth starter and be successful, I mean, wow, just the the ability to talk about the trades from last season and who won the trades and starting to who, already pay it's off all, him. yeah, uh, you know, it's it's and, and he was the key something. piece in that deal. I know that you know Nick Crawl really talked about Connor Phillips and the, you know that he was the player to be named later, but Connor Phillips was second on that list. Brandon Williamson was first, and there were some thoughts. They're like, okay, what's going to happen, and then. You know, his walk percentage last year in AAA really started to sour some people on his star. But I really think that he's got a shot to be the type of dude that could be the third starter. Like, I think his ceiling is higher than Graham Ashcraft's. It's just right now his floor is also pretty low, and we got to figure out exactly where he falls. Larry Keller says Gutierrez in the bullpen. I don't think we're going to see Gutierrez this season. Um, I, Larry's I, right, though. If we do see him, it's in the it, no. If we do, it's in the bullpen. But I September I suspect probably, but yeah. maybe they would. I think they would have to be in big trouble. I think if if the bullpen is pitching well in the last months he of the season, I don't know why. I don't know yeah. why you would rush him back like that. I, I could totally just bring him along slow. If you really want to see him in some in-game action near the end. Yeah. Send him down to triple a where it's not quite as aggressive, I guess. Cause you know how these, these guys are pro athletes. You put them in the major leagues in a competitive situation and they're going to go and go hard. And I don't know that we want to do that. I mean, why not? If we have the luxury of bringing him along slowly, bring him along slowly and have him set for, you know, being a valuable piece of the bullpen in 2024. I've seen some some different questions and stuff like that in our comment section over the last few weeks. Like a couple of people being like, "Hey, what's up with uh, Gutierrez and stuff like that?" The Tommy John surgery is going to keep him out until at the very best. We're talking like the end of August, maybe September, and that's mm-hmm. if everything goes right in his rehab. That's if he has no setbacks, nothing crops up during his time when he's ramping up, and he's not going to have enough time to ramp up as a starter. So I think the best course for him, the best plan for Vladimir Gutierrez this year is that when he's ready to come back, they send him to Louisville and they have him pitch as a starter and he works himself up, gets himself ready for next year. I don't think there's any scenario that is best for him personally where he pitches in Cincinnati this year. All right. Two more and we're getting out of here, Jeff. Uh, but I want to talk about this guy. Uh, the robo buck says he thinks, uh, Souza Bennett Souza left-handed relief pitcher starts in Louisville. And I think maybe 
he's one of two people still competing to be the second lefty in the bullpen at the major league level. I it's funny because I asked Bobby this the other day and I'm like, what do you think about the second lefty in the bullpen? Cause so far we've not really seen anybody that's been inspiring. And he, he answered back and he's just like, do they need two lefties? It's like, with well, as much as we've seen with, with the guys that we've seen in camp so far, I don't want to see a second lefty. Like I understand the good makeup of a baseball you team. have two lefties. You have to have multiple lefties, but if the options are what we've seen, are we really going to force that? Yes. You got to have two know, lefties, man. Like you, you, you got to have two lefties. I, they, like, they have to find a second lefty, Jeff. If it's not these guys, then they have to go get somebody off the waiver wires at the end of spring training. But there has to be a second left-handed pitcher in this bullpen. It cannot just be Reaver San Martin. They cannot open the season with just him as the lefty in the bullpen. And I'm busy. I'm not available. Let me see. Okay. Now, you're, you you should know this guy. So, I'm interested to see if you know him. But who was the second lefty? Obviously, Aroldis Chapman closed. But in 2012, when the Reds were division champs. Oh, my God. Who was the second lefty? Oh, I don't know, Actually Jeff. pitched super well. Tell me now, who it is because I, it's too long ago for me to remember. I'm it's old. the one. It's the one year that this guy proved any kind of valuable for the Reds because the Reds traded Travis Wood to the Chicago Cubs to get this guy, Sean Marshall. Sean Marshall. Sean Marshall. He was really good. I remember that now. He was okay. really, really good. So I agree with you. A See, playoff. You team need has two, two lefties. Left. You need two lefties to make the playoffs. They're not making the playoffs this year. <laughs> oh my God. All right. One more BR seven has a good one because I've made the same observation. Uh, and I think you have too, Jeff uh, Benson beating out that infield hit hustling down the line to first clapping his hands when he was safe. It's good to see that Benson Friedel, India McLean. They're all really hustling. Love it. Uh, I love it too. And I think that energy, uh, you know, I think I, you know, listen, I don't know that we've given him enough credit thus far through spring, but I think Jonathan India really set the tone at the beginning of camp talking about the changes that he made, the fact that he sees himself being one of the team leaders of this team and then going out and playing that way. Well, you know, all these young guys in camp are, you know, well, if Jonathan's doing it, I better do it too. And, you know, that's leadership. And well, I, I'm glad to see it. Well, the young guys are playing that way, but also yesterday, and I mentioned this play already, the Trey Mancini infield single dude is like, I was listening to the radio on that. Tommy Thrall called that play like he was surprised to see what he saw because it was a dribbler, no man's land, down the third baseline, no chance for the third baseman to run up and grab it. So Hunter Green is lunging off the mound, going as hard as he can to try and barehand that ball, throw it over to first. And according to the radio crew, he missed it by like that much, like almost had him. But the tone of voice told me is that there was no way Hunter Green should try to make that play. He was never going to get him out. That is just another example of the hustle that the Reds are showing right now in spring training. The fact that Hunter Green, who knows he's on this roster and probably knew before that game yesterday that he was going to be the opening day starter. It's just like, let me grab this little dribbler here and throw Trey Mancini out when absolutely no one expects me to do it. I, that's the kind of thing that's getting me fired up and, 
and why I took that Reds to win 80 plus games uh, thing on FanDuel. Oh, <laughs> oh boy. Scott Campbell, by the way, had Sean Marshall. He got it. Good job, yep. Scott. Yep. Uh, and we're going to end with this. <laughs> what is my walkout music? Well, <laughs> Brown Eyed Girl. It's, if, no. <laughs> if I have to, if it, Jeffrey, if it has to be right now, like me, right now, uh, I'm going with Toby Keith. I ain't as good as I once was. That's going to be my walkout music. And on that note, that's where we're going to end it today. Jeffrey, take us home. Thanks everybody for joining in on today's live Aloha edition of the podcast. Thank you so much for everyone who dropped a question, dropped a comment into our comment section. I know there's a ton that we didn't get to, but thank you all so much for being a part of our show. Now, make sure you go check out Locked On Fantasy Baseball because Matt and Dom are going to help you win your league. They've got the best fantasy draft strategies for you to help get that dub. So check out Locked On Fantasy Baseball. It's just like Locked On Reds. It's free and available on all platforms, including right here on YouTube. Coming up next week, we're going to talk about the time that the Reds almost got Babe Ruth. In fact, there was actually two times that the Reds almost got Babe Ruth. So yeah, going back into uh, the history books. Plus we're also going to keep you up to date on everything that's happened all weekend long out in cactus league play for your red legs. Thanks again, everybody, because as we move through spring training, we're less than three weeks away from opening day. We're going to keep y'all locked on reds every single day. Jeff hates Joey and Jonathan. What a hashtag. I, I don't. <laughs>